With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for another edition of Tennis.com's weekly podcast. And here's your host, James Martin. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. The Aussie Open is over, um, and maybe some surprises, maybe not. The usual figures were standing in the winner's circle. I'm James Martin, along with Steve Tigner and Peter Bodo. And guys, I guess to begin the tournament, we were wondering, you know, would there be a new face? We're left with two very familiar ones in Serena and Roger. You know, I think the men's, I would say looking at this, this Australian Open, this is the first time in recent memory that I thought that the the women's final was actually more exciting and, and provided maybe not necessarily the best quality tennis at all times, but certainly the most dramatic and really competitive final. It was a it was a strange one the way Justine kind of caught fire in the middle of that second set to the middle beginning of the third. But once again, Serena Williams coming up with that key double uh, key ace on on her second serve instead of what a lot of players might have double faulted and cranking some returns and just raising her game that extra notch. What impressions um, were you guys left with after watching that match? I guess if you take if you take both together, I think this shows again that the Grand Slam finals about is about more than anything about experience. These two, Federer had 15, Serena had 11. It's not like Justine was not experienced there, but but who had more? And just before you know coming into the match, it was hard to imagine Murray having been in one Slam final. And when you look at Federer's numbers in Slam finals, 21 times. That that is just a daunting thing to overcome. Just the amount of experience handling the moment. Does that, that doesn't explain to me, I thought, with Murray that was really strange was he was clearly nervous in that match, particularly in the f- almost for the entire first set and into the second. He was having some of those mannerisms that Brad Gilbert, I thought, correctly pointed out, you know, clutching his jaw, and he wasn't moving well. He wasn't getting to some of his forehands to be in a great moving, position. He wasn't moving forward. No, either. He the wasn't moving he, forward. Yeah, the way we wait thought a second, he guys. Let's crank it back. But this, is, this is from the man that said, by the way, Peter Bodo, Federer is going to have a senior moment. So, so go ahead, Pete. <laughs> he didn't have a senior <laughs> moment, that's for sure. The guy, the guy, in fact, the guy showed us one of the takeaways from this Australian Open is going to be that he's going Serena on us. You know, Serena last year played three tournaments. She, pl- she won all three of them, the Australian Open, Wimbledon, and Doha, the uh, WTA championships there. I think Roger's going down that same course. The guy's just... Guy's going to show up for the big events, but even more than that, I think this—you know—in th- a way, this both finals were testaments to the enduring value of the serve in tennis. I mean, Serena clearly, uh, her serve was the, the the really big difference in that match, and in that Murray and Federer match, the last three points of that tiebreaker, that Murray served misses his first term, misses his first serve, excuse me, each time. And and we we saw what happened. So I don't. Know, I just don't think you could underestimate that. And one of the most underestimated parts of Roger Federer's game is that serve. He uses that tool. It's automatic. It's like a guy, 
you know, it's like a carpenter using a hammer. He just, you know, well, it's not hard though. It's the placement with that serve. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't go for the aces, but that's that's part of it. Unlike say a Roddick steps up there, even a Serena, you know, they step up there and they go, okay, well, I'm going to bring you know heat down the middle. Let's see if they can handle that. And Roger doesn't even think that way. The guy wants to get that ball in. He automatically seems to know. Just his nervous system seems to tell him, all right, I'm going to put it there. You know, boom, he puts a serve into play, starts a point off neutral and wins a point. I mean, I, I think the guy's serve is just, just phenomenal. I mean, it, it, it's just automatic. It's the best thing you can say so about Pete, it. So, Pete, are you going back on your your uh, idea from a couple of weeks ago that the return in the women's game was was on the rise and the serve on the decline? Well, no, I, I think the return is on a, on a rise for sure. But that means that somebody who's got a serve, who actually can serve, unlike most of the women, can can really do it. I mean, I think they're also focused on a return. They all think, look, let's face it, the the break a serve is the is is the glory moment in in any set. That's what you need to do to win a set. But then, but then a lot of the WTA women are forgetting that you got to be able to hold too, and that's what Serena can do. That's what Roger can Still do. Still, the difference maker in those final matches. Yes, I, I thought I thought in the men's match that the that. The serve definitely, but also the forehand because Federer has a forehand that he can end points with. He can, if he gets in trouble, if he needs a point, if he needs to change things around, he can he can use his forehand and he, and he has no problem with that. And there's no no nerves involved with that. Fet, Murray doesn't have that kind of forehand. He doesn't have a put away forehand, so he has to craft points more. And I thought that 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 really gave Federer a distinct advantage. Even he let Federer play his game. Even in the tiebreaker, when Murray should have had nothing to lose. It was Federer who was at the net, who was coming forward, who was attacking, and Murray, who was still defending. What, what, yeah, and what was amazing watching Federer, and I think partly it was because, as, as you said, Steve, that Murray wasn't really going forward. He wasn't hitting the ball particularly hard until maybe a little bit toward the end. Watching some of those points with Federer, he would go you know, five, six, seven, eight shots, not hitting a backhand. He'd be all the way over in the backhand side hitting forehands, but he would never get exploited and called out with Murray trying to, get into that open court. I thought Federer's movement was great right from the get-go, and he was clearly dialed in. I think some of that was also Murray's nerves, and it, it, it kind of ca- caused a, a perfect storm against Murray, and, and he's now got a horrible comparison. He's the first player since Cedric Pialin to lose his first two major finals in straight sets. So he's got he's to get that off his back now because that's not something you want to be compared with. He's got to come out, hopefully, but I, and do better. But I was, weren't you guys surprised that he was so nervous? Well, there's something about Murray that I think Bear is pointing out. It's that, you know, I, for the first time I watching him, I felt this guy's got a homemade tennis game, a do-it-yourself game. And then you put together the pieces. You know, he comes from Scotland. You know, let's face it, tennis is not a big thing in Scotland developed by his mother Judy with obviously help from the LTA and other people but still there's just kind of a there's a kind of an individualistic uh, I, I did it myself kind of element there I think that was really on display it was partly because of his nerves for sure but I mean how often did you see Murray sort of out of position you know he's wandering around under that serve leaning way over to try to to hit that to hit that serve or he'd, you know he'd hit that forehand and an elbow would be flying around and it, you know it, it just seemed like the guy you know to a much greater degree than than we'd ever seen before you know, looked like he was like a homemade tennis player, like the ultimate recreational player, like those guys who all you recreational players out there, you know, who, who you know, don't look like much, but they're so tough because they've got great athletic skills. They're fast. They're determined. But, you know, compared to Federer, that, that, those, those weaknesses, I think, that, that Murray has were exposed. Well, Federer does make he, – he did the same thing to Sanga in the semis, just watching those two guys across the net from each other. Sanga suddenly looked like the, what you're saying, Pete, a, a homemade tennis player, a guy – not who suddenly seemed not smooth at all, and and maybe the same is true for Murray. He he looked less balanced than Federer. I think Federer has a way of making all of his opponents 
you know, pointing that up. Any so flaws in their game become clearer. I mean, the moral of the story is don't, if you're going to play a, f a big match at a slam, don't play the greatest player of all time. <laughs> Maybe you won't look so bad. Uh, you know, fair, I mean, 16, I mean, where, where's he going to end? I mean, He's Where, got. He's playing wherever with house, he wants. He's, he's playing with house money right now. Like I mean, he's going to go in the French. He's going to have no pressure. If Nadal's knee's not, you know, if, if he, Nadal's not healthy, to me, the you know, he's still going to be threatened by some of these young guys on one-off matches. Anything can happen. We've seen that. But yeah, without having any pressure, I mean, I don't think he's. I'm not saying Federer's going to win the Grand Slam in a single season, but he certainly has got a nice year looking looking ahead. Yeah, the guy stinks on clay. You know, he's only got one French title. <laughs> yes, right. You know, he's got to ramp it up. Come on, Roger, get with the program. You need you need to get like four or five more French Open titles under your belt. But here's something for you guys. Uh, look at you look at that Grand Slam count. It's through the roof. It's terrific. It shattered the record. But then look back at the Australian Open where Federer has won so many of his titles. Check out how many of those guys have played. Check out how often the Connors, all the other guys in the conversation when it comes to the greatest of all time, besides Sampras now, he's an exception. How many of those guys right before our present era, you know, the Sampras's, I'm sorry, the, the Connors's, the Borgs, the McEnroe's, they didn't even play the Australian Open. The Aus these guys ha have an extra slam in their pocket these days. Well, that's because yeah. Yeah, Auss Aussie Open wasn't really even, it was treated like it's a It's like a, the Laver, um, tournament. Laver's five years out. Borg played the Australian Open once. It's one of those what-ifs that you can't go back and change. They just didn't go down. Connors played it twice. Yeah, yeah but, it, you know, doesn't it kind of skew the Grand Slam? All credit to Roger. He's probably the greatest player of all time, no matter what. Yet you're looking at the fact is that for a long time, and certainly during the heyday of Connors, McEnroe, um, and Borg, the three guys who maybe would have had a legitimate shot, um, especially Borg, uh, you know, they played in the three-slam era. I don't think you can make I I don't think you can make that case. I mean, the, no one was telling him not to go down there. They just didn't go down there because it was at the end of the year. And for Borg, if he didn't win the U.S. Open, he had no chance for the Grand Slam. He didn't see the bother to take the trip. But then you're then you're going to start arguing greatness on on what ifs. And I always think you can't do that because then, well, then Salas is potentially the greatest ever because of all the time she lost. Or as what Steve pointed out, Laver, you can't you can't do it, that. What it also points up is the slam. I mean, the slams are our benchmark now. But there's there's more to the argument. But it's not like Federer doesn't have incredible statistics outside of the slams. Yeah. You know, it isn't just the slams that he has. No, but what he's had is an opportunity every year to win one more legitimate equal grand slam, which which was an opportunity the other guys had because nobody went. It wasn't like, you know, you know, just you know, this this guy or that guy missed it for, for his own reasons. But the guy who was nobody closest went. the tournament was his second rate tournament. You the guy who has won it. Fourteen slams that was closest with him did go down there. Yeah. Sampras. Quite a bit. That's yeah. right. So yeah. Well what about uh, on the women's side, I was looking at the stats with Strain and Hennon and what was crazy is if you look at the first serve percentage, it was fairly similar. Serena around 60s, Hennon around 50. Aces, Hennon only had four to Serena's 12. That wasn't surprising. About the same number of double faults. Serena had a few more unforced errors than Justine. And I'm looking at this, and if you looked at this and didn't watch the match, you'd say, my gosh, this was a, a really close match every set. But then I wonder if you take out those few games that Hennon was on fire to end the second set and the first couple and the third, what would those stats have looked like? Because it was an interesting, uh, strange, right? interesting match. She was patchy to start, and then, then she couldn't miss. It's like she, she was trying to get her attacking game going. She couldn't, she couldn't, and then suddenly it all clicked all at once for 15 straight points. And then um, she had to come down to earth. It's like she peaked, she peaked a little too soon. She peaked at the end of the second set rather than the end of the third set, and Serena was you know, she was still there in the third set. Did, did either of you guys, they were showing you know, some stats of the way she was attacking. She, she only got to net 19 times. She won 12 of those. 
Um, but she was serving exclusively down the tee, down the middle, in both Deucey mm-hmm. Court, Henan. And she was also, almost all her ground strokes were going straight up the middle. That was the first set. Yeah. But yeah. And it, I was surprised that she didn't come out of the gate trying to move Serena around more. I guess you could make the argument she was trying to take away the angle to get to net. That was a strategy. But she never really was able to get Serena moving. I, I thought she was a little, a little tight to start. And she was forcing it a little and missing. And she, she relaxed a little when she, when she was behind a set. Well, yeah. we talked about this last time, too. The Serena, you know, dis- she, does, she doesn't look like she moves that great, really, because she's so big and she's kind of lumbering a little bit. But you know what? Out of position, she is very, very dangerous. She's always in danger. You know, you get her running to that forehand side. She's, you know, she can crack that big winner down the line or, or do it with the backhand, too. And she's strong enough to kind of yank that ball around, make it go cross court, even if she's running the other way. So I think, ten- I mean, clearly, they made it. They made a conscious decision. Carlos Rodriguez told Justine that look, the way, the way is is to freeze her at the service notch, kind of, and and then and then take your shot, get, look for the opening, maybe maybe attack the net, but you know uh, it didn't really work. I think what you got to give Serena credit for in that match is the kind of emotional stamina she s- showed. When you look at all these conditions, you know here's Justine coming back, and hey, you know one thing people forget is Kim Clijsters and Justine both. They're coming back fit as fiddles. I mean these women. You know, as someone pointed out rightly, ha- have been in training. It's not like they sat around eating potato chips for two years. You know, these women are, are fit. They're healthy. Their their enthusiasm's high. Their 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 spirit's been replenished. And then you know, to see someone like that come at you, especially someone as gifted as a Henan, on a streak like she had there, for Serena to keep her composure and come back as strong as she did was really a great achievement. I did thought it was amazing. A two all, thirty all in the third. She just she took a Justine a serve, hit a backhand return up the line, <laughs> the best one she's hit all day. Uh, suddenly made that happen, and then that was it. Basically, she won the next four games. She she suddenly just began to play better. And she played with more conviction. And, and she she does it in a lot of matches, doesn't she? She'll, by, she'll miss the court for games. I had a weird impression. By the end of this match, I felt like Justine had disappeared. Serena had made her disappear. Like Serena she has a way of doing it. not even noticeable on the court anymore. You know, my favorite moment there was when, um, when she... Uh, she hits that. Hey, she gets that Hawkeye overturn three, at 3-2. Three, at 3-2. Three, that was great. It's like yeah. the whole match is in a balance. She steps up and she cracks second just service. a whale. This, not just a second serve, but she hits the same exact serve as the first serve with the same amount of pace and spin. And then after it, she jumps up. Now, the girl doesn't have hops. You know, that's one thing Serena doesn't have. But she kind of jumps up in the air, lands on both feet. You can almost hear the stadium shake and you think... <laughs> Whoa! You know, watch out. This is this girl means business. Oh, we've we've seen it over and over with her. And I, I I was wondering while watching that match if it was Kleister's playing that match. Somehow I just felt like oh maybe <laughs> Kleister's would have won it, but um, would have beaten Serena. Would have beaten Serena. I, I just I just looking at Hen and I thought she played okay, and she obviously had those great games in there. But this whole getting to net thing, I think it's going to work against a lot of players. But you could really see. I mean, she got to net 19 times in a three set match. That's not a whole lot, and she was winning about 60% of those, which is good. But I, I'm just wondering with the serve, and you obviously she can't read too much into this. It's only her second tournament back, but is she going to continue with this experiment and continue to try to be a net player and get, get hitting those big first serves or trying to, or do you think she's going to have to find sort of a, a middle ground between the way she used to play and this new and, new and improving You almost got the do. feeling that when she played well, she was playing her old style. She was hitting those winners from the baseline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, everyone, everyone loves that beautiful tennis. You know, they, they love the attacking game. You know, someone like Mary, Mary Carrillo, she constantly swoons over that. You know, there's, there's, there's always that. And, and, you know, let's face it, that's, you know, sort of almost like the ultimate expression in tennis, you know, is, is to be able to play artfully and aggressively enough so that you could really control the action with the, with the, with the volley and, and the attacking. But you know what? Over the course of a long match against someone like Serena, that stuff just is not going to cut it. 
Yeah, I think I think we're going to learn over the next you know couple slams for sure. You know how 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 doable is it to change your game at this level? Um, and we'll see what happens with Justine. But I know Pete uh, wanted to talk about some takeaways, some things we learned, right, Pete, from uh, the Australian Open. Had a couple things on your mind here. So uh, well, one thing I noticed, I also would love to talk a little bit at some point about the victory ceremony. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the pro- trophy presentation there with, with Federer and Murray. But really, one of my big takeaways from this tournament was that, <clears throat> you remember guys a couple of years ago, you could always count on a Thomas Johansson or an Arnold Clement or a Rainier Schuttler getting to an Australian Open final. You know, plus, you know, who knows how many guys show up in the semis. I think that era is over. I mean, this, uh, you know, goes back to the evolution of the Australian Open. I mean, for a couple of years now, and it looks like this is going to be the way forward, the guys who are supposed to get there at the end or getting there it's not like a guy can really be fit you know uh can take care of business can can really get a jump on a competition and go down there and do some damage i think you know the big dogs are they're they're awake now you know they've you know they've rubbed the sleep out of their eyes from the off season they're ready to go right at the australian well, open you look at the way murray went down to australia earlier than he had in years past to get used to the conditions and and, and the time change I, I mean i think clearly the australian open just because they get that little break it's not a, a huge one I think that break is significant. It gives those top players that, that chance just to catch their breath. seems like Australia does, what, what, with the break and the, and the fairness of the surface, it probably produces the, the most entertaining tennis of all four majors. I think you can sort of credit it to Andre Agus. He's one of the, I don't know if he was the first guy, but he's the first guy that I, that I can think of who really said about training for the Australian Open, making that yeah, tournament a real focus. And I feel like, you know, more guys do that. No, more guys go down there really early. And, Speaking to Pete's point, I feel like there's, in general, there's fewer random possibilities into the finals of majors, only because the, the top class has gotten so deep now. At the U.S. Open, the, we had Del Potro in his first final. Now, uh, at the Australian Open, we have Murray in his second final. So it's, you know, there's five, now it's five deep that can, that can, uh, that are sort of, that other guys have to break through. To, to get to a semis or a final. Let me ask you this, guys. Do you think I'm one of the, one of the other things that I think is that, you know, are, are the Yankovic's, Safina's, and Wozniaki's and girls in that class who became stars in the past year or two, uh, I don't know that they're so safe anymore when you look at some of these other kids that are coming in through the pipeline, you know, the Wickmeyers, people like that. I mean, they've got to watch their backs, don't you think? Uh, <coughs> I, I mean... They were almost not in, ex- not in, in attendance at this, yeah. at this tournament. If if Serena and and Hennen and Kleisers on the top on the top side of things are are in those draws and Venus t- also to a certain extent, um, and then a couple of those players you mentioned, yeah, th- this promising class of players, they're gonna they are gonna disappear. I I mean I they, they none of them were impressive, and you had the bizarre you know S- Safina retires, just doesn't even show any problems, but says her back hurts, she's out of there, and um, Yankovic seems to be. Really struggling to find a form. Ivanovich, I mean, that's just a sad story at this point. You know, the the girl just can't get back on track mentally. Although you, you know that you get the feeling she really she really wants to. Um, so the only two that I think are we can say are for real that that are better than those girls are um, Kleisters and Hennen. Right. That, that and improved Serena. it and and Serena. Yeah, so thank God they're back, right? Well, it makes it better. I mean, this was a great final, I thought, compared to the ones we've had in years past. And I, I, I going back to the men, I I do think that we're going to see. Um, Silich again. What did you think about him? Because I, I was pretty impressed. I mean, the the, the semi Murray. Okay, he didn't he didn't maybe. I thought Murray just played better, but um, I, I was impressed with Silich and, and his drive and not being satisfied just to make Here's it to the, the quarters. One, one question you might have. he does everything well, but he doesn't do anything that's you know unbeatably well. He doesn't have that Del Potro forehand, the same way Murray does. Murray does everything well, but he doesn't have an unbeatable weapon. Silich, th- that could be a problem for him 
in the in the later rounds of Grand Slams. He'll, I think he'll always be he'll be steady, and we'll see him in a lot more quarters soon. But beyond that, I don't know. He has. We'll see about that. Yeah, there's a little by rope kind of quality to his game. You know, uh, I think you're right about that. That that little extra spark of something, whether it's athleticism or explosiveness or a specific shot or or things. You know, you you don't know that it's there, but he's he's a big, tough, physical guy, so he's going to get a share of W's. Well, you've also said that, Steve, about Djokovic that he uh, that he he does everything really well, but doesn't necessarily do any one thing great. Do you think we're getting a class of players right now with Murray, Djokovic, Silic? Um, that don't have that weapon of a Del Potro or in Federer clearly well, I, has a weapon. I had always thought that was somewhat of a product of s- the slow courts. These guys attack well, but they don't they don't um, you know hit a lot of aces or hit a lot of blatant forehand winners. They came up a little later with the courts were a little slower, but they defend well. They do everything. They have the games that are, work well with you know slower hard courts, slower grass court, and also on clay. They everything is solid, no weaknesses, but also no no absolute strengths. Right. I mean, Federer though, pro- and Federer proved against Murray that, you know, and and this goes to the rec level too. It's usually the the aggressive player, the guy that takes the more calculated chances and, and presses the issue when things get tight that wins. I mean, Federer just sort of goes about his business, but then he just he puts that foot to the to the windpipe right when he needs to, and it, and it, it's obviously worked out for him 16 times, and and probably will for a few more as well. Um, well, that about wraps up this edition of the podcast. Uh, keep sending in your emails. We've been getting a ton of good ones. We're going to start later this week when we come back either on Thursday or Friday to uh, answer some questions via email. You send the emails to podcast at tennis.com. And uh, we'll see you then with Steve Tigner and Pete Bodo. I'm James Martin. And uh, we're out of here, guys. You've been enjoying tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.